Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today, Ben Gretsch of the Stealing Signals newsletter joins us to break down which players might have secretly broken out or secretly started to go on the downswing of their careers based on what they did in 2021. So hope you guys enjoy that conversation. But first, I wanted to quickly tell you about the First Draft Podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. These guys are keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL Draft, and you can now catch them twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. So check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. Download and subscribe to the First Draft Podcast wherever you get podcasts. Now, here's Ben Gretsch. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone I've wanted to have on, had him on at the beginning of the season last year to break down sort of what was meaningful, what was not meaningful coming out of week one. And so we have him back on here, talk about what was meaningful and maybe not quite as meaningful for some skill position players from the 2021 season. He's a podcaster in multiple places. He also publishes the excellent Stealing Signals newsletter. This is Ben Gretsch. Ben, how are you? Doing great. I'm glad to be back on with you. Uh, enjoy so much of your stuff. Have so much respect for your work. So it's uh, it'll be fun to, to chat today. I'm excited. Yeah, I feel like this was inspired by me reading the newsletter I just mentioned, Stealing Signals, which is excellent. I enjoy it every week during the football season. There's like a, a certain subset of the work I had to do each and every week that I found as the year went on. I was just like, oh, I can just read Ben instead of actually going through this piece by piece. Like it really saved me time. So I was like, oh, thank you, Ben, for... Um, you know, saving me part of my week during the week. But I feel like you do such a good job of this um, during the season and during the off season. And you look at it from a fantasy perspective, but I think so much of it applies to, you know, the actual football happening on the field as well. So I think if you're a fantasy person, this is going to be really exciting for you. And, and if you're not a fantasy person, I think you're still going to learn a lot about maybe what happened on an underlying basis during the regular season and what that might mean for the upcoming 2022 year. Now, Ben, before we get started with the players themselves, let's talk about the concepts you're using here to kind of break down what you're seeing on a week-to-week basis. So uh, when it came to these sort of, you know, postseason articles where you went team by team and broke down these players, what was going on for them in the 2021 season, what metrics were you using? And maybe give like a, a sort of, you know, explanation of what you're using, uh, why they're valuable maybe, uh, and then we can go from there and talk about some of the players. Yeah, for sure. So I was looking at... Um a stat called targets per outrun, which is becoming a little bit more uh, common in the fantasy industry, which is Mm -hmm. great. Um, For a long time, yards per outrun has been thought of as this really great metric. I I hear a lot of people say that it's such a great efficiency metric, which is in some ways true, but like I think of it as this sort of more holistic metric because one of the efficiency metrics people hate is yards per target. Mm -hmm. And Ultimately, the only difference between yards per target and yards per outrun is this measure of targets per outrun. Um, and so what makes yards per target into suddenly this better efficiency metric is actually targets, which a lot of people don't think of as efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a really interesting part of the receiving side of things. Like I come from a fantasy background for a long time. It's been sort of formulaic and fancy to look at things from an opportunity and efficiency standpoint. And I think that makes a lot of sense for like rushing because mm-hmm. opportunity is mostly just hand, you know, handoffs. It's like the, the guy was given the ball, right? There's basically three layers with pass catchers though. Cause you have routes run is really the, like the base level opportunity. The, the target 
for a long time, we've thought of as like the opportunity it's given to the player. It's really more, we see over a lot of analyses, it's, it's earned. It's a mm-hmm. skill to be able to earn targets at a really high rate. And so that's like sort of this hybrid thing. And then you have what happens after the target is earned catch rate, yardage gain, touchdowns, yards after the catch, all of these elements. And a lot of that is not very sticky mm-hmm. year over year. Um, but I actually wind up talking about yards per target a lot, which a lot of people, like if you ever tweet about yards per target, you're inevitably going to get the response that is like, you're using yards per target as a stat. You're an idiot. But, <laughs> but like, I actually think it, if you know what it's telling you, like mm-hmm. you're, it's worth discussing yards per target. The issue I have, like, I don't actually use yards per route run very much. I want to break it into the two parts. I want to break it into the targets per route run, how good the player is at mm-hmm. earning targets. And then what they're able to do after the target, which is going to be less sticky. The, the, the real signal in yards per outrun is from the targets per outrun side, how, how good players are at earning targets, which we've known for a long time, targets lead to stats. Like that's not really actually groundbreaking. Um, so yeah, I like to really look at targets per outrun. I think it's, number one, it is very stable like year over year and things like that. But number two, I think it's fascinating to think about this concept of earning targets because it's like, well, like why? Well, one, it's, you know, the obvious level guys are getting open more, they create mm-hmm. separation, et cetera. But even like separation metrics don't necessarily correlate really, really well with target rate. Mm-hmm. I right. think there's like this other element of like quarterback trust and things like that, right? Like Devonta Adams is the easy, obvious uh, analogy, but, or, or, or like example to give, but like Aaron Rodgers trusts him. And sometimes it's, it's not even uh, you know, a hand signal or whatever. It's just a glance and we're always talking about that, but they're on the same page. Right. And so it's this idea for me of consistency, every single route, even if they are covered, a guy like Devonte Adams can still earn the target because of the consistency, the consistency that he's going to react to the ball in the air a certain way. He now has the quarterback's trust and the quarterback's the one ultimately making the decision. So we see this to be a pretty sticky metric. And we want to, I think, look at which receivers are really good year over year at earning targets and, and which ones are trending up. Um, and some of that can get masked by, or, or get kind of missed by the fact that maybe their yards per target was down. So we have some interesting players we're going to talk about today that are showing this really positive trend in targets per out run, but they they had a bad yards per target year last year. And so maybe that's getting missed a little bit in terms of like these guys, if that yards per target comes back to relatively where they were in other mm-hmm. years of their career could be, you know, the next monsters basically. Is there a player who comes to mind for you from the last year or two where you felt like, this sort of analysis hinted that maybe they were better than their sort of broader performance or their broader projection. And then you sort of were rewarded for looking at that, um, looking at those underlying numbers with what they did the following year. Is there someone like who broke out in, you know, maybe on paper and then broke out in practice or to the public a year later? There's a few examples for sure. Um, I, I think the way I would answer this is to go to Cooper cup who you can't, you couldn't have seen everything that he did this year, but one of the interesting things that was happening in his like stats leading into last year was that his targets per run were had been improving were better than Robert Woods, but he wasn't necessarily running a full set of routes. So that's the other side of it is the routes run part is sort of the opportunity part. And cup would have those games where he'd only run like 75 per, or a route on like 75% of dropbacks for whatever reason. And so you knew there was this potential upside if he could run more routes. Interestingly for Cup, and he had shown a little bit more targets per route run upside than anyone else really on his team and in his offense. Interestingly for him, he his targets per route run shot up even more. You know, he's had a career yeah. high in that 
while adding the routes, while suddenly being a you know close to 100% routes guy. Uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of hard to be like, this was the reason that he broke out or anything like that, because there's a lot of layers that went into it, but, um, he's in a good example of a guy where we saw these positive trends and maybe there was still some meat on the bone in terms mm-hmm. of the number of routes he was running. Uh, and yeah, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good, uh, was a pretty good precursor to the fact that there was at least some ceiling with cup, maybe not <laughs> to the level of what he showed. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you were expecting an 18 touchdown or whatever it was season from Cooper cup where he was, you know, challenging the NFL receiving record, frankly, you should be hosting this show and not me if you saw that coming, but for sure, I, I think it's a good way to put it is the idea of having more meat on the bone. You know, th- this idea that maybe, you know, there might be a universe where Cooper cups, you know, 95th percentile outcome might be this guy, as opposed to maybe something different. I mean, Cooper Cup was going, where was he going in, in best ball drafts last year? Like he was going, I think like the two, three turn, maybe? No, I think more like the turn? three, four. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Three, four. So like, you know, I, I sort of get the sense that, you know, I reminded of him. I reminded of Stefan Diggs the year before, where you kind of have guys in this range where it's okay. We know these guys are good, but like, what might possibly lead to this kind of leap? And I feel like the analysis you do, you know, it, it isn't always going to be perfect like any analysis, but I feel like it sort of hints at, you know, what the opportunities might be if things break right for a certain player. Exactly right. Exactly right. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's something that's not, I, I don't think looked at enough. I was kind of saying that, the, the you know, for fantasy football, the industry can be a little bit formulaic at times. I mean, I, mm-hmm. This idea that like yards per out run is this great stat, for example, I mentioned I don't really love it. It is, it is a great stat, but it's a great stat because it's this holistic stat that is pulling in both sides of it. It's mm-hmm. it's looking at the per routes run part, which is important. Like we're using routes run as the opportunity metric, but it's including both the ability to earn the target and what's done after the target. And the the part that is done after the target is a lot of a lot of those elements. There's a few things that go into that mm-hmm. are going to be. Um, very like high variance year over year. It's not going to be very sticky, like yards after the catch, not particularly sticky year over year downfield receiving efficiency, not particularly sticky, but has a really big impact on something like yards per target. If you hit on a mm-hmm. few deep shots, you're going to have a much higher yards per target. I mean, one, one yard catch can raise your yards per target, uh, you know, half a yard right. on, a, on like a hundred target sample. Like, you know, that, that, it's weird to think of it that way, but that's, um, the type of impact one big play can have. Um, and so people don't love this, this yards per target set and things like that. They love yards per out run, but I mean, ultimately yards per out run. I mean, we're just like, like looking at the yards, <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're, we're controlling for the amount of routes that they're running and how much they're actually playing. But I mean, especially for receivers who are running routes on most dropbacks that they're on the field for, mm-hmm. um, you're basically just saying like, okay, well, based on how many snaps they played, how many yards did they gain? And, and like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but like, it's kind of interesting to uh, present it as some type of really advanced metric. It is a great benchmark. And, and I think yards per should be used in analyses and things, but mm-hmm. I want to, like, I want to actually get into the stats that aren't actually very sticky year over year, but try to make some assumptions about what we know. Like, the example that I always give for a young player is AJ Brown, who I've loved mm-hmm. since day one. This is a guy who has the downfield receiving profile and, and brings in some air yards that can really help the sort of before the catch efficiency that will mm-hmm. start to boost yards per target. And he has incredible after the catch ability where, yeah, it might not be sticky year over year, whether he has 200 yards after the catch one year or 400 or 500 the next year, 
but like I have a pretty good idea his range is going to be above average. And these guys that have that combination of downfield target profile and yards after the catch, if you go look at them, their yards per target might not be sticky year over year, but it's mm-hmm. consistently above average, like Terrell Owens, Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, even some smaller receivers. Deshaun Jackson has that kind of profile, always created mm-hmm. yards after the catch and downfield. Tyreek Hill, great example of a guy who has that profile. That's the type of guy that has just absolute massive efficiency ceiling after a target is earned because he's going to catch mm-hmm. some passes down the field. He's going to be able to create at all levels with the ball in his hands. Um, I mean, it's something we saw from Debo this year. We already knew Debo had incredible after the catch ability, ball in hand mm-hmm. ability, but then we started to see a little bit more downfield target uh, it, just to his target profile. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then suddenly it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, we're having this explosive Debo upside season. And so, breaking it up like that and seeing what needs to happen, I think gives us a better idea of what, because like every player is a little different, you know? Right. For sure. And I mean, you know, I feel like we can start talking about the players for 2022 here. One guy who you've been a fan of for a long time, I've been a fan of for a long time, but maybe has not had that sort of publicly perceived big breakout season is DJ Moore. What did you see in DJ Moore in 2021 that, that led you to, sort of highlight him as interesting as we talked about some of the players we discussed before the podcast here. Yeah, it's funny. Anyone who's followed me for a while is like, God, he, he's been talking about DJ Moore every year for so long. <laughs> no, but 2021 really was this season that if I wasn't already on him, I would definitely be on him more because mm-hmm. prior to 2021, he had already shown that type of combination of skills where he can he make some plays downfield when he was kind of pigeonholed into the downfield role mm-hmm. uh, in 2020, he actually was still pretty efficient as a downfield receiver but he also has this yak ability. You can go all the way back to his rookie year. He was getting more handoffs and he was really efficient in a small sample as a rusher, um, but has been able to produce yards after the catch. And for, for young guys like him as well, one of the big things I always want to go back to is their college profile, because this ability to really dominate team pass volume in college has been shown to be really predictive of future success. And I think people only want to look at what got young guys have done at the NFL level, but with mm-hmm. some guys like TJ Moore, like we can definitely say, I mean, I know it's a different skill uh, like level that he was playing at the college level, but we can definitely say like looking at his production within the Maryland passing game and how strong it was when we control for their pass volume and everything mm-hmm. that this guy probably is this type of player, right? He's this type of player that's going to dominate targets and create yards uh, when the targets are earned. And so this year, he had a year where he had a career low yards per target. We know that everything in Carolina was not great, especially on the quarterback side of things. Yes. Um, but his targets per run actually jumped up. He had started to show really quite a bit of promise early in his career with that. And But I was always really excited about this fact that he had this potential for a big efficiency season. He has this potential for a downfield profile, plus the yak, plus all these things that they allow receivers to have these explosive seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and for more, one of the things he gets knocked on is he hasn't scored a lot of TDs, but he was a fine TD score in college. And right. certainly with that profile, I would expect in a good year that he could score plenty of TDs. Um, so he's a guy that this past year, we see the targets per run actually shoot up to 25% career high. That's a really great number. Mm-hmm. Um, the average would be like maybe 18 to 20% targets per run. And the range is maybe like 10% for the receivers that really struggle to earn targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, of their routes, they're going to be targeting about 10% up to about 30% is a really high end. So more is about 25%, anything over 25%, you're talking about really elite. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was way up there, but the, the yards per target fell off. We have enough of a sample from prior seasons to say he's probably an efficient receiver. 
if we just get him, you know, a good quarterback at one point, you know, <laughs> this guy's going to have a monster year. I mean, do you feel like he has to have that quarterback upgrade to sort of unlock that? Do you think he can do it with the questionable quarterback play yeah. he's had over the past couple of years? Like, like how, how good of a quarterback does he have to have to deliver on what you think his, his upside might be? I kind of want to ask you that because I think it's in, in <laughs> relation to like how bad have the Panthers been the last few years at what they've put out there and um, I mean, I, I guess I, I feel very biased about the DJ Moore thing. So I've been telling <laughs> myself that, um, you know, his situation has been about as bad as it can be and he's doing the things he can do, but I'm always interested in other people's perspective on this. one. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like as someone who had quite a bit of him last year and watched him very closely, I mean, I, I very rarely felt like he was the issue with that offense. And I mean, I, I would say there's two things in play for me here. Number one is that I think he has to get at least a slightly better quarterback. I, I think just we, he's seen basically replacement level quarterback play over the past couple of seasons. And I like Teddy Bridgewater, but I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to cap sort of the upside of what your receivers can do as downfield weapons. And last year with Sam Darnold, we saw some more downfield stuff here and there, but still not exactly a great passer by any means we saw plenty of cam who was not very good we saw pj walker who was abysmal i mean you know it, it was a mess and so i think assuming they get someone better uh, assuming they get like at least a jimmy garoppolo caliber quarterback i think that would make me more hopeful it's sort of sad when i'm talking about jimmy garoppolo as like the the dream scenario for dj Moore here but the other thing that comes to mind for me when it comes to his target share or his targets per run is that christian mccaffrey has not played much over the past two seasons and Christian McCaffrey is a monster when it comes to tar- to hogging targets so I wonder if maybe my concern would be and I, I'd have to look at you know their their on off stats to see what DJ Moore's target rate is when Christian McCaffrey's on and off the field but I wonder how DJ Moore's sort of target share would be impacted if Christian McCaffrey is healthy in for the vast majority of 2022 i think that's a great point uh one of the things i try to remember in, in these types of things is number one like there can be multiple really good players in an offense but um more more importantly like number two is like this this could certainly have an impact on more but i want to look at more independently and when i go back to you know reference the the college stats and then everything he's done so far at the nfl level like i feel like even if mccaffrey knocks him in terms of like uh t- targets per out run and, and those types of rates which is a, it's a great point about targets per out run you have five skilled players on a play you have five guys out in a route if the other four are not very good at earning targets sometimes we see that are sort of artificially inflate guys that are maybe average and they they, mm-hmm. they start to look like they're really good because someone's yeah. got to get the ball thrown to them in, in some yes. of these offenses the saints are a great example of that Marcus Callaway and Trey Quan Smith were not very good and they were their main receivers. So all of the rotational guys had really strong targets per run. Deontay Harris, uh, Kenny Stills, mm-hmm. um, some of those guys that like really popped in this metric this year. Um, so yeah, I, I guess what I would say about Morris, yes, it, it might end up having an impact on him, but I'm pretty confident in like what his targets per run floor is, right? So I think it's it's a question of like good to great. Where where does mm-hmm. he fall in that range? Yeah, I mean I you know, I, I certainly think he has the ability to be great. And and I think if you put him with an average offense, with an average quarterback, and I gave everyone else an average offense and an average quarterback, I think he'd be one of the 10 or 12 best receivers in football. Like, I think he has that in him. I, I feel like, based on reading you over the past couple of years, you agree. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't, we, I don't really hide that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. And I mean, I think 
it's funny because like even in a bad season like you know even not two bad seasons i guess is the wrong word but two sort of like disappointing quote-unquote seasons where people did not get what they were hoping for from dj Moore. 2020 66 catches 1193 yards four touchdowns last year 93 catches 1157 yards four touchdowns so i mean like even dj Moore's disappointing seasons have been pretty productive all things considered so yeah i i mean to me i think if we don't get more than that bill it's gonna yeah. be rough because I, I I feel like there's you know I, I completely agree with you I don't, I don't think people realize how good he's been uh, and a big part of it is the touchdowns he just has not right had, had a lot of, of scores right. so far in his career but we know that can change certainly um a guy who I feel like might be in a different sort of boat uh another player with a initial first name for the Seahawks DK Metcalf a player who has been obviously a a monster at his best and a touchdown machine over the past three years, seven touchdowns as a rookie, 10 in 2020, 12 a year ago. But what did you see in DK Metcalf's performance from 2021 that stood out to you? Yeah, super similar to the points I just made about Moore, where Metcalf has this downfield profile. He's a big bodied guy. We have reason to believe that after he earns a target, this guy's going to be really efficient. Mm-hmm. But he had a really down yards per target year after a strong first two years. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Russell Wilson was hurt for a big part of that. That's going to play. Sure. Uh, a part and some of it's just that this fluctuation yards per target is not a very consistent stat but what i do think is he's one of these t- profiles is one of these types of receivers with his size and speed and everything he can bring that over the course of his career his yards per target range is not in it's not like his median is not the same as the league median yes this right. that can regress but it's going to be higher um it, it is that profile we were just talking about the aj brown profile it's you know etc and he was way down, but the plus side is his targets per out run was 18%, 20%. Those are good numbers, especially for a guy who gets air yards and draws these targets down the field. Mm-hmm. This last year, it jumped to 25%, which is like, again, is right here in this DJ Moore range. DK Metcalf with a 25% targets per out run is like a potential top three receiver, mm-hmm. but he just did not have a very good efficiency season. And so it, it's one of those things where like it, this last year didn't look too different from his first couple of years. Oh, you know, when's the breakout going to come? Is the breakout going to come? People love to talk about his route limitations, all of these types of things. I mean, if he has the upside to earn volume at this clip, I want to definitely be betting on his, you know, his yards per target rebound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, certainly you'd have to figure that, uh, you know, not having Russell Wilson made a difference there. Again, I'd have to look at the specific numbers there, but I mean, a, a player who is just so physically impressive and, and has been so, you know, has been in offenses that have not necessarily, for at least a good chunk of his first three years, been super pass heavy. I mean, I know there was that that first half of the season in 2020. I think that narrative is a little overblown in terms of them passing and then not passing. But, you know, it's not like he's playing for the Chiefs. You know, it's not like he's playing for the Bills. And so I wonder if, you know, if the Seahawks offense ever does sort of move to a more modern pass heavy attack, like that would unlock, you know, more volume from him. And, and more routes for him to run with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and please, can we? <laughs> like, can, can we do that? <laughs> I don't have that ability, Ben, unfortunately. I, I mean, how long I have we been talking about this? We may, Maybe if this was the Mina show, we could get, we'd have more uh, impact on the Seahawks organization. But I mean, you know, certainly it feels like they're probably going to make a significant commitment to DJ, DK Metcalf. I know there's been trade rumors a little bit. I'm very skeptical that trade would happen. Uh, but it feels like certainly, you know, they're going to be priced in 
to giving BK Metcalf the football quite a bit. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, what... What do you think about the the Russell Wilson talk? I mean, I got to confess, I thought Carol would get fired finally. Um, really? And that they would just keep going with Russ and sort of committing to him. Because, I mean, they've done this with multiple offensive coordinators, multiple things. They're not hitting these things. And Russ has been talking, uh, you know, as much as you know, people don't necessarily love Russ's personality and things. But he's been talking about some very specific things like tempo. And, yep. and the pass rate for a couple of years, he's very clearly wanting to play in a different type of offense. And it really doesn't matter what offensive coordinator they're bringing in. They're not doing that. And so to keep him happy or to keep him from demanding a trade or whatever, I, I really did think they were going to make a switch this year and and kind of move forward into a new era of, you know, letting Russ potentially cook. But I don't know. I'm curious. What, what do you think? Do you think they're going to coexist, Carol and Russ, going forward? I think so. I mean, maybe Pete will retire in the next couple of years. Maybe Russ will get traded in the next couple of years. I don't, you know, I feel like the way things ended in 2021 where they did win for their last six maybe gave them a little more optimism once Russ came back I feel like the underlying numbers for them I mean they weren't much different than they were in 2020 like they had 10 expected wins uh, out of 16 in 2020 granted out of 17 wins games in 2021 but 9.3 expected wins last year so I mean you know it wasn't like they were significantly different in terms of their performance. But like, is 2020 their target? Because I mean, my sort of my case is like from 2015 Mm -hmm. to 2021, Mm -hmm. you have like one or two playoff wins with Russell Wilson in his prime. I mean, I I understand they won the Super Bowl early on, but this team should be better. (laughs) Like they they should have done more over this stretch. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally fair. And I, you know, I, I feel like, they see how what how good they have it. Like Pete Carroll has problematic in a lot of ways, but is I would say better than the average NFL coach. Russell yeah. Wilson is a a top eight NFL quarterback, and your chances of getting rid of one of those guys and replacing them with someone who's better are just so hard that I feel like you know if if Pete just insisted it's me or Russ, maybe that would be different. And if Russ said it's me or Pete, and I, I want to get traded, then I'm not going to show up. It'd be different. But I feel like. When push came to shove last year, Russell Wilson was not aggressive about asking for a trade. Like he hinted at it, he gave a list of teams, but he did not sort of make that last final move that uh, other other people have made when they want to get traded. He didn't pull a Jalen Ramsey. He didn't pull you know people like that. So I think you know maybe it tells you that Russell Wilson, as much as he wants things to change, 
wants things to change in Seattle as opposed to wanting them to change elsewhere. Yeah, I think that might be right. I, I, I have not really expected him to get traded either, but it's interesting that like all season, you know, every city that needs a quarterback has had some beat writer write the how would a Russell Wilson trade look? <laughs> yeah. You know, like that that started at, in August, right, of last year, and it just mm-hmm. continued week five, week seven, week nine. There's a new Russell Wilson to this team would look like this in the offseason type article. Um, but, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't know that he's really on the market. I mean, you, you never know. Things can change, certainly. But I think the fact that we haven't heard much about it at this point of the offseason makes me believe that either they're going to wait and see what happens with the quarterback chips moving around, or, or maybe they've decided that they're going to move forward with Russ. Um, I, I, I certainly feel like they can be a competitive team next year. I wouldn't be shocked if they won the NFC West, or at least were back in the playoffs again in 2022. Um, another young guy you wanted to talk about who really interests me, because um, I feel like he's really underrated in a lot of ways, and maybe this is right, maybe this is wrong, is Jacoby Myers with the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, it, he, one of the things, shout out to my podcast partner, Sean Siegel. One of the things he's shown is that some of the later round picks take longer to break out mm-hmm. um, in sort of a fantasy football contest uh, context. But Myers, to me, looks so much like Adam Thielen. He was a former UDFA. These mm-hmm. guys have to really work to earn any opportunity, any routes at the NFL level. Um, Myers was really good in his rookie season. And then in year two, like he wasn't even getting on the field early in the season yeah. in 2020, but then he, by the end of the year was their number one receiver clearly again, and, and posting really strong targets per out run, like dominating targets when he's running routes and earning that playing time a second time, which you look at first round picks, they play in year one. And then even if they fail, they play in year two for late round picks. It's a little different where they, they got to really impress. And, and part of that's, look, the team that made these decisions on draft day is the team that's making the decisions about who they're going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of invested. Some teams are going to operate differently. Like we saw a great example of the, the inverse of that in San Francisco where they just went with Elijah Mitchell and didn't use <laughs> Trey Sermon. Um, but Myers is, is on this sort of plan where this like four-year plan where for the first three years, everything is improving. Now year three finally runs routes for the whole year. His targets per out run is really good. Above average is about 23% this year. It's 24% in 2020. Mm-hmm. So we have multiple seasons now, well above average. His yards per target, though, was down this year. Another guy who hasn't scored a lot of touchdowns. But his yards per target was pretty good his first two years, above average. And I think there's also – he's a free agent. There's this potential that he could move on. I think probably going to be back with New England. Well, there's this potential for more passes in New England with Mac Jones going into year two. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of reason to be a little bit a little bit optimistic about him. It almost can't be as bad as last year in terms of yeah. overall team volume, whether he's with another team or, or New England is just probably passing a little bit more in year two. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they pass more in year two. He, I think he – is he restricted this year? Oh, I think he is. Yeah, he's restricted. So I mean, there there is a chance. You never want to say that it's not pop. You know, he's not going to get, uh, not going to get moved on, or someone's not going to make him an offer. Maybe the Patriots would say, "Hey, we we've invested enough at wide receiver. We're going to make maybe a bigger move elsewhere and let him move on." But I, I feel like he's done everything they could have asked for. And you know, certainly last year their wide receiving core, you know, they invested a lot at, at wide receiver at tight end. There were mixed results. I thought, you know. Uh, Kendrick Bourne played really well. Nelson or not so much. Um, and Kill Harry, their former first-round pick, has not really shown all that much. Their tight ends were 
inconsistent. Hunter Henry had a big touchdown total. Johnny Smith was not really productive as a receiver. Um, you know, I, I feel like if they were going to make a major addition, like a Calvin Ridley, that's sort of been the guy I've been hinting at, might go there or suggesting might go there. I don't think it's going to take snaps away from Myers. You know, I feel right. like here and there it might take some targets from Myers, but I feel like his role is is pretty sound and, and he's proven to be really valuable in that role. So I, you know, I, I think the Adam Thielen comp is really, really impact. Honestly, I wish I thought of it myself. I'm kind of jealous that I didn't <laughs> think about the Adam Thielen comp because it does make a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I think that's a, a very optimistic path. And I think it's a, or certainly, a, a, you know, it's not a common path, but I think he's shown, like you said, time after time, in 2020, the Patriots did not want to put him on the field and ended up having to put him on the field and he was productive. 2021, they made multiple moves at receiver and he's still sort of, you know, he's he's still competing and winning for, for targets. So I think I absolutely agree that he is someone who, you know, there's more meat on the bone there, like you said. And certainly the touchdowns became like a meme at some point last year, yeah. like, you know, and then began to finally pop up late in the season. Like there's there was no reason to think that he's not going to get uh, a bunch of, of touchdowns in the years. It's like he's tiny. You know, I think Julian Edelman, who, you know, had had good, not spectacular touchdown numbers over the course of his career, was much smaller. Julian Edelman was 5'10". Uh, Jacoby Myers is 6'2". I mean, he, he has more size to work with than your typical slot. So uh, I, I feel like he has, you know, yeah. if, not, if not a feeling I, path, I, I feel like certainly he has a path to being a legit number one receiver right exactly i that's that's where the 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 comp sort of breaks down is thielen has been such a good touchdown producer over the course of his career and so it's it's jacoby's probably not going to be Thielen, but he is sort of you know similar like we said every player is somewhat different he's basically adam Thielen without the abnormal td rates and and i agree with you i think he can have average td rates i mean i think it's just really weird and kind of confusing why he hasn't scored any so far right i mean adam Thielen is 6'2 200 pounds jacoby myers is 6'2 200 pounds like at this also by the way at this point in his career in his third season adam thielen had five touchdowns on 69 receptions on 92 targets the next year 142 targets four touchdowns so we've been saying kind of similar things about adam thielen at this point of his career oh if he just scored touchdowns he'd be really exciting and then of course he had uh 30 uh, 39 touchdowns over his next four years so you know this touchdown stuff does we talk about it all the time regressing to the mean it happens like there's that's just the reality of what happens in the nfl yeah um another guy who i mean maybe we're we're i don't i want to compare them i think they're different kinds of players in so many ways but moving from the slot receiver josh mcdaniels used to have to the slot receiver josh mcdaniels is now inheriting with the raiders the guy you want to talk about is hunter renfro well yeah i want to ask your opinion about what Josh McDaniels means for Hunter Renfro, honestly, but like this guy has three straight years of targets per run over 20% started career. That's great. Two mm-hmm. years, uh, his rookie year and this past year have been up at 23%. That's very, very good. He's not, you know, he doesn't have the air yards, the downfield stuff, but he has actually posted really strong yards per target figures for a yeah. low a dot kind of guy. So he's shown some, at least some efficiency, some, you know, yak ability, some of that stuff. The McDaniels thing is so, so interesting. I mean, it's just like, it's way too easy and way too obvious to be like, well, is Hunter Renfro the new Wes Welker or Julian Edelman? But I mean, the stuff we saw with the triple move routes and things, it like you were already making in your head those comparisons before he had New England's offensive coordinator as his new head coach. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it tells you, even before Josh McDaniels got there, they were really comfortable 
relying on Hunter Renfro in key situations. Like he had a lot of third down catches and a lot of red zone catches where they were clearing out the field, sort of similar to how the Rams used Cooper Cup and they were letting Hunter Renfro run, you know, like, again, like meme routes, like, you know, five break routes or, but really running choice routes, sort of letting him run to the soft spots in coverage. And I think that that's not too much different than what the Patriots do with Edelman. I don't think it's going to be the Welker kind of usage because I don't think they're going to be a spread offense by any means, but um you know, I, I think it's really telling that the the Raiders were comfortable using him in those key moments. He wasn't just catching, you know, uh, the third downs in, in, in terrible situations. Like, he was also a big red zone guy. He had nine touchdowns last season on 128 targets. Um, and, and I think the other thing I would say is, again, the financial thing, which I think matters when it comes to NFL teams. Renfro is going to be a free agent after next season. He's eligible for an extension, and I I would be surprised if the Raiders did not sign him to a meaningful extension this offseason. And I think that's only going to reinforce that he's going to be a significant part of this offense for years to come. Yeah, so what do you think McDaniels does for him, though? Because his numbers so far have been strong. Do you think he kind of fits in as this, like, plus slot receiver? Or do you think he has, like – I mean, you said he's not going to put up Welker numbers, but, like – because, I mean, especially in, like, the fantasy football world, Welker and PPR leagues back in the day, he had some seasons that were just incredible, even as this, you know, slot receiver. I'm trying to figure out, like, what Renfro's statistical peak looks like. Could this guy be a 115-catch guy this year, you know? So Welker, his first three years in New England, uh, 115 receptions, 152 targets per season. Um, on a 17-game basis, average 128 receptions, 169 targets per 17 games. I mean, that is a lot. That'd be 40 more targets over the course of the year for Hunter Renfro than what we saw last year when the Raiders did not have Darren Waller for basically most of the season. Either he was uh, banged up or he was not playing at all. Um, and you can make the same points about Waller that he might fit some of what McDaniels has done in this background, yeah, right? 100%. I feel like there's a lot of interesting sort of opportunities here for the Raiders. And the other part of it is that their outside receiver situation is so up in the air. I mean, Henry Ruggs is obviously not going to play again. By the end of last year, they were using Zay Jones as sort of their their primary outside wide receiver, and he was kind of good. Like, I, for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, Zay Jones is actually kind of productive. Um, Brian Edwards has been inconsistent at best. Um, you know, so I, I think my instinct is that they will make an addition on the outside, at least one addition this offseason. Maybe they bring Zay Jones back on a one-year deal. Maybe they, uh, you know, give Edwards another shot as a starter. But I think this offense is going to run through Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller. And I think Josh McDaniels, I, I think this is probably fair to say. Maybe some would disagree if they've watched him closer than I have. But I feel like he's been given credit for molding the offense to the strengths of his players and the pieces he has to work with. And I think if you do that, I think giving Hunter Renfro not the Cooper Cup role, because I don't think that is maybe realistic, but giving him, you know, at the very least, the role he had last season is entirely on the table. And I think he, you know, what, what was he in terms of wide receivers last year, in terms of his fantasy production? He was 13th uh, among all wide receivers. Uh, you know, that that's really valuable for a guy who was a late-round pick, who was being treated as kind of a, you know, an afterthought in most fantasy leagues last season. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, let's talk about some of the older players uh, who maybe stood out last year. Um, it sounds like maybe you'll be a little concerned about these guys. And one of the people who comes to mind is someone we just talked about, uh, the Vikings, Adam Thielen. 
Yeah. So I would start this by prefacing by saying I haven't done a ton of research on like back testing on this, but one of the things that I was saying last year, I wasn't like in fantasy drafts, I wasn't drafting a lot of Julio. A lot of people were saying that Julio's 2020 was just as good as ever because things like his yards per out run were still very yeah. strong. But when you broke it up, Julio actually had, and he only played nine games, but he had a career high yards per target in that stretch in his last year in Atlanta there uh, at, you know, 31 years old or whatever it was. Small sample. We see the, we see efficiency spike. On the flip side, he had actually posted his worst targets per out run since his second season in the league. And that had already dropped off a little bit the year prior. And so it was like, okay, well, he is sort of losing a little bit in terms of his ability to earn targets, or maybe it's Calvin Ridley coming on or what have you. But um, I mean, in his peak, he was 27% to 30% targets per out run, like way up there. And this is why he's so good, because he's also efficient after earning the target but he could be a 30% target per outrun guy on top of that. I mean, if you have that combination, you're Julio Jones. He was all the way down to 22% that final season in Atlanta, that partial season, a little bit banged up and, and all that, but it's quite a bit lower. And then this past year, he goes down to 19% his first year in Tennessee. We sometimes see players on new teams struggle to assimilate. We talked about mm-hmm. some of the quarterback trust stuff. You look at like Kenny Galladay and stuff like that. Kenny Galladay is a guy I would expect to bounce back. His numbers are way out of line with everything else he's done in his career. Um, I don't think he just forgot how to play football. I think it's it's stuff <laughs> to do with being on a new team for the first yes. time. Um, but yeah, that Julio continuing to sort of fall off is, has sort of reinforced this idea to me that I want to be a little bit concerned of these guys on the other side of 30 where we're starting to see the targets per out run fall off, but the efficiency may be still there. And Thielen's a good example of, of that as well. Targets per out run this past year were at the lowest since before his breakout. You mentioned his breakout came in year four. He has not had a, as low of a targets per out run since year three. Uh, and his yards per target has actually been dropping off, but the touchdowns have kept him afloat in terms of his you know statistical production and sort of that perception that he's still a very productive player. But I'm you know I'm concerned when you're on when you're on the other side of thirty and we're starting to see the target rate drop. And again, another example of a could be a teammate thing. You, you have one of the best young receivers in the league as your teammate in Justin Jefferson. But even when he was playing with Diggs, he was earning targets at a much higher rate. Mm-hmm. And then another one that I think fits right in here with this is Keenan Allen, mm-hmm. whose yards per target fell off a little bit in 2020. And this is a guy that's sort of the inverse where he's got a lower A dot and also mm-hmm. isn't like the most physical receiver in terms of yards after the catch stuff. So he's a guy that you would expect his yards per target range to maybe not be out of this world but so the way that I think about that is then I want him to have an elite targets per out run to, to expect really great things from him from things like fantasy football. And Keenan mm-hmm. Allen has always done that. I mean, this is like one of the sublime best route runners in the league. But now we're starting to see that yards per target sort of fall off. These last two seasons now have been a little bit lower. And this past year, we saw his targets per out run fall to his lowest since his second season. Again, could be small sample stuff, but once we start to see that targets per out one fall off from what was probably this guy's peak, um, and it's not bad. His targets per out one, not bad. I think it was 24% this past year, but typically in the upper 20s to 30% as well for Keenan Allen. That's where I'm starting to get a little concerned is he may be losing a step. Yeah, I, and I think with Adam Thielen, there's a couple of concerns. I mean, he's older than people think. I mean, he's the same age as Randall Cobb. Um, they both turned, he was actually born on the same day. August 22nd, 1990. That's right. Because, because Adam Thielen, I didn't know it until I just made that comparison as I was about to talk. So I feel like I 
stumbled on something there. But <laughs> I mean, you know, Randall Cobb came into the league very young. I think he was the first player drafted uh, who was born in 1990, if I'm not mistaken, I remember correctly, but he came in as a 21 year old, you know, what was a meaningful player at 22, Adam Thielen. I mean, came into the NFL at 24, was not a starter until he was 26. So even though he feels like he's been in the league much shorter, I mean, he is the same age. And I think, you know, the high ankle sprain is a legit concern. Um, we've seen players who were productive or who are valuable lose a significant amount of their effectiveness after high ankle sprains. And it's not, not all high ankle sprains are created equal. And, and certainly you wouldn't want to rule Adam feeling out, but I think it just gives you a little bit of pause when you think, okay, well, there's a chance that he might just not be the same player coming back from an injury that's really slowed some players in the past. Absolutely. But I, I mean, he, he is going to have this advantage. Number one, if he can continue to sort of be, you know, Kirk's favorite target in the red zone, yes. that's going to be helpful. And then he's going to have this advantage that, that Justin Jefferson is literally impossible to guard. Like, I don't know how you <laughs> stop Justin Jefferson. And so it, it, you could have much worse situations going into the twilight. Or I don't want to say Adam Thielen's in the twilight of his career yet. I hate kind of saying, like, guys are done. I want to root for dudes to play forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe if, if that were the case, you can have a lot worse situations than – playing alongside Justin Jefferson, who like teams might need to put five defenders on to try to stop. <laughs> That's very fair. I mean, just an absolute freak. Justin Jefferson from week to week, a, a week winner, a league winner for sure. Um, let's talk about rookies. I mean, it, uh, maybe if there's, I would say, two players who stand out to you in terms of the rookies who you feel like maybe deserve more attention than they're getting heading into the second season of their careers. Well, it's, it's really interesting profiles across the, the way. I mean, some of these guys that I gave you on this little list are um, are getting plenty of attention. Yeah. Um, Elijah Moore, Jalen Waddell, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, and rightfully so. They earned a lot of targets right away, and they were, you know, also had some collegiate uh, prospect profile stuff to back that up. And, and like, they look like they're going to be great players the rest of the way. Oh, Kyle Pitts, another one, like, right up there with the best tight ends in the league in terms of targets per run already. Um, basically played a receiver, but a couple of the ones that I think are really interesting to talk about Kadarius Tony, right? Like didn't have a huge production record in college, limited route sample, but a truly absurd targets per out run for a rookie. And he mm-hmm. also showed that like, he might have some yards after the catch up side. Like it didn't actually really manifest in the super high yards per target or anything, but I mean, he certainly looked like he has ball in, in hand juke ability and things like that. We saw a lot of that this year. It's tough to get a read on it with the really small sample, but he was way up in the upper 20s, pushing 30% targets per out run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one is Rondell Moore, who really, really productive age-adjusted college player when he was on the field, like great from his freshman year. And then a really strong year one targets per out run, but a lot of that was manufactured touches, some of these jet motion tip passes and things, and certainly like almost no air yards, nothing down the field. It's sort of like the the Debo thing. I mean, everyone wants to talk about who's going to be the next Debo, who's going to play the Debo role in some of these offenses, and nobody is Debo Samuel. But mm-hmm. Rondale's uh, usage was sort of similar um, to, to what we saw from Debo maybe prior to 2021. What we would need from Rondale is this idea that he could actually run some routes down the field and get targeted <laughs> down the field. But I don't think you can look at his 24% targets per run in year one and be anything other than like, excited like that like they were using when they put him on the field they were getting him the ball even if they were manufacturing touches for him like he's getting the ball into his hands right but we do need to see him actually see some targets down the field christian kirk is not an unrestricted he's an unrestricted free agent correct yes 
So that slot issue might get cleared up if Kirk were to sign somewhere. Mm-hmm. We saw him having dinner with Josh Allen. I mean, I feel like he's already a bill, right? <laughs> I mean, Nick Gabriel Davis, early investors hope that's not the case, I suppose. But that that role, that slot role, I think across different receivers has been more valuable than targets for guys on the outside. Like I think if you take every receiver with the Cardinals, especially Kirk, it comes to mind for me, and track their their you know targets per out run, their yards per out run, any stat you come up with, and track it in the slot versus outside. It's been more productive for them on the outside, or, or sorry, in the slot than it has been on the outside. Um, so I mean, that would be a huge opportunity if he can get that slot role on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. I think he he's small. Everyone points this out, or, or he's short, but he's big. Like he's bulky. I I don't really buy that he he isn't able to do stuff down the field. He had some some plays certainly down the field as well. Just didn't get a lot of opportunity to try to to show that part of his game, but showed some of it in college for sure. It was very productive. Um, I think like the Steve Smith comps that people had are good. Like I, I think he can do some of the things that Steve Smith used to do down the field. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited for him still. For sure. I mean, his athletic measurables, you know, were off the charts. I think he was like a 99th percentile athlete by next gen stats measures of athletic uh you know, performance. So I think certainly it's not like he's a, he's a, a small guy who, you know, is just fast. Like he is fast and powerful as well. Uh, anyone else stand out to you among the rookies? Well, I'll mention um, a couple of the running backs as well. was interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how much weight to put onto running backs, but Ramondre Stevenson to me is really interesting because he had some good per route run receiving numbers in college. Mm-hmm. And then this year there's four different Patriots backs that have like decent enough sample sizes. You have James White, you have Brandon Bolden, you have Damian Harris, not, not decent enough sample sizes. Sorry. These are very small sample sizes, but mm-hmm. Ramondre very much clear of all of them and targets per out run. So just whenever I see a bigger back who maybe has this potential to earn a little bit more receiving volume, than I think a lot of running back receiving volume is dictated by offense and by quarterback. But if he's able to earn a little bit more than what his offense sort of baseline is, and he's got the size to potentially be like a goal line back. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. kind of stuff that in, in fantasy sports, it, you know, it's going to lead to this this uh, this three down workload that could, could be massive for, and he looked great as a running back as well. Um, two other rookie backs, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, also led their backfields in targets per route run in a way that mm-hmm. stood out to me. Like these guys have some receiving chops in college as well. Especially Carter was a really good receiver. They played college together. Carter was sort of their receiving back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are positive notes. We want to see the, the three down potential for these types of backs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, absolutely. I think Damian Harris is one of the lowest target rates in football over the past two seasons. And uh, a similar sort of player who comes to mind for me is Zach Moss, where Zach Moss had a super low target rate. And even though he was getting the reputation as maybe he's going to be the lead back for that Bill's backfield heading into the season, we saw what happened. Devin Singletary took that role over as the season went on, in part because he had significant receiving utility. And I feel like, you know, betting on those backs who have that receiving ability is just so valuable in the long run. And that, you know, even if it doesn't lend you a hit every single time over the course of, you know, five or 10 years, you're going to find more opportunities than you would focusing on guys who just don't have that receiving utility in their back. Yep. I'll give you one more too. Brevin Jordan, very small sample as well, really? but really strong targets per out run in year one, late round tight end playing for the Texans for anyone who didn't don't, doesn't remember seeing a little bit of him late in the year. But he had a really good three-year prospect profile as well, um, meaning he declared early, which is a positive sign. And then he goes yeah. into the to the, the 
the pros and is earning some volume in a small sample right away and scored, scored a couple touchdowns in a pretty small sample. I'm excited for him. Yeah. I mean, you know, still just 21, um, since 22 in July, but yeah, I think a, you know, tight end is going to be really interesting this year because there's going to be so much turnover. There's so many guys who are free agents. The draft might have a bunch of tight ends. You know, I, I think, especially if you're drafting now, if you're doing best ball drafts now, um, it's going to be so tough to judge just where the value is. But I think someone like Bourbon Jordan has real upside as, you know, a guy who is young, who's athletic, and who has, you know, a lot to offer in an offense where there's going to be plenty of targets to go around, especially if they do make an upgrade a quarterback. Yeah, he's a perfect guy in best ball if you're going to be doing like a three tight end build to take really late and, and just hope that the the skill – you know, leads to more playing time essentially because, you know, he could get buried over the offseason as well as a late round pick. We don't, we're just talking about this with Jacoby Myers. We don't know that he's going to potentially right. get more work. He needs to, he needs to be running more routes to, to have any chance at, at success. Right. But this is your chance, right? I mean, you're, you know, if, if the role is obvious to everyone and the opportunity is obvious to everyone, well, they're going to be valuable. So I think as you think about, okay, this is who I might, might want to target in a dynasty league. This is who I might want to take in a best ball draft. You know, I think having this sort of insight or, or knowing, okay, maybe this guy is worth taking a shot on, you know, does offer some opportunity to get some upside in a way that might not be there in, in two, three, four months or might not be there, you know, if, if their opportunity does lead to more production in 2022. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. This, that, that's, that's why I wanted to bring him up. It's, it's sort of like, this is the time for sure. I mean, you can get these really huge hits. He would be my favorite long shot pick right early in, in drafts we've seen it from late round tight ends before maybe the team just likes what they saw this offseason and they they really commit to using him more and if they do i mean again he showed in college this mm-hmm. like he had a true breakout season which we don't even often see from even the best tight end prospects uh, like from like wide receiver breakout metrics in terms of stats like dominator rating someone uh, might have heard before mm-hmm. and it's it's this idea that in even in a three-year college career he has a breakout season as a receiving tight end and now he's so young like you mentioned he's still only 21 this guy looks like i mean production tends to beget production he looks like he could be good it's just a bet on houston's going to think the same thing and you know davis mills is going to be good enough that jordan could have a really big second year do you think davis mills is going to be the starter next year in houston I have no idea. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I do. I do. I think he showed enough. He looked, he looked good. I mean, compared to a lot of the other rookie quarterbacks as well. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he showed enough. I don't think Houston's going to be really ready to compete. Right. So it's, I mean, it's, it all comes down to Deshaun Watson too, though. Like, could he be there? Right. right. I think that's the question. And I mean, you know, they did commit a fair amount to Davis Mills. He was their, I believe their first selection that year in the draft where they had they had a first or second round pick i think he was did they trade up for davis mills in the third round i think, I think they, they that did. was just their their first pick was the third rounder if i'm not mistaken it, it was their first pick for sure they did not trade up so yeah it was the 67th pick so i mean they committed a fair amount it's not like they were they traded up they 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 took davis mills in the seventh round and he turned out to be a starter like he was the guy they seemed to prioritize so I'm I'm skeptical of Davis Mills, but I feel like enough people I respect have said, ah, he was pretty good, that maybe I should give it more consideration. I mean, certainly wasn't working with a lot. And that's also, I mean, even like his first big game, he had that uh I think it was against the Patriots, maybe he had the pass to Chris Moore, where it was just like really poorly played in the secondary, and Chris Moore makes this sort of wild catch where he, yes. he kind of jumped and 
and then finds space and is running for 40 more yards and has this long touchdown. And I think Davis Mills ends up with a 300 yard passing game. But again, like one play like that can have such a huge impact on, on your stats for the game. And it was just a, it was just a weird play. One of the weirdest plays of the NFL season mm-hmm. just didn't look right. At that point, I was still like, yeah, I mean, fade this guy. Like this, this great game does not mean that he's good. But later on, I think he got hurt for a little bit, right? And then came back yeah. later on in the season after he came back. I mean, I felt like he was showing that he was capable of running a competent NFL offense. Yeah. I mean, last five games, uh, he came back, started the final five games, completed 68.4% of his passes, averaged 7.4 yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, two picks. I mean, you know, certainly solid numbers. So, yeah, um, I, I, I'm i going to go have to go back and watch those games. I want to give Davis Mills a second yeah, chance. Based I on think I'm going to have to, too. It's a good point. So takeaways from this conversation. Number one, Davis Mills, possible Hall of Famer. Number two, <laughs> go out and get Brevin Jordan while you still have the chance. We are massive Texans fans. That was <laughs> all we learned today. We're all priced in on the Texans. Well, Ben, you cover the Texans in your newsletter and on your podcast, but you also cover the other 31 teams. If people want to check out more of your work, where can they do that? Yeah, it's bengretch.substack.com for the newsletter. It is a premium newsletter. It's eight bucks a month to subscribe. Um, and then the Stealing Bananas podcast and Ship Chasing podcast are the two main podcasts I'm doing right now as well. Check those out. Ben, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. All right, thanks so much to my guest, Ben Gretsch. Definitely recommend checking out Ben's newsletter, Stealing Signals. One of the first things I read every week when it comes out, I stop what I'm doing. I sit down, I read it. I learn more about football. That, that's the highest compliment I can give. Like I, I have to pay attention to a lot of football stuff. Ben's newsletter is one of the best. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We have more audio coming next week. Thanks so much for listening and more on the way.